Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. My guest this week is a man who has really done some interesting things in a short period of time. He is Kevin Mays, who is the Executive Director of Bailiwick Chicago. Hello, Kevin. Hi there, Tom. Thanks for having me today. Tell us now uh, about Bailiwick Chicago and how it differs than David Zach's uh, Bailiwick repertory that was around for many years. Sure. Well, a lot of folks may not know, but Bailiwick Repertory actually shut its doors for good back in uh, September of 2009 um, due to a number of different reasons having to do with some legal and some financial stuff. And uh, he moved on to other opportunities and projects. And a group of us who had worked in various capacities as actors, directors, musicians, some stagehand production management, stage manager types, uh, got together one day and tried to figure out a way that we might be able to create a new version um, of a theater company based upon a new model. Um, Bailiwick Repertory was definitely, you know, led by David Zack. It was a, a single leader organization. Um, and, uh, and, and that had its benefits and, uh, you know, in terms of like single point of decision making and that kind of thing. But in today's incredibly competitive theater market, um, and given the economics of theater, especially in cities like Chicago and New York, um, it becomes increasingly difficult to run a theater company uh, where you don't have an army of people that you can turn to, um, and more importantly, an army of people who are part of the process of running a company and keeping it, you know, keeping it moving forward. Yeah, it was amazing that David was able to keep it going as long as he did, and, yeah. and maintain a venue too, which adds a whole other. Uh, right. area of expertise. But yeah. think think about how much the Chicago theater scene changed, though, over the 27 years that he ran the company. I mean, there certainly wasn't anywhere close to the number of theater companies 25 years ago in Chicago that there are now. Um, and, you know, it was just a completely different marketplace just within the theater industry, I mean. And then you take into account how just entertainment has changed in terms of the kinds of options that people have. You know, 25 years ago, you couldn't just jump online and watch Netflix, you know, instant gratification of some television show that you That's might be true. interested in seeing. And, uh, you know, like it or not, theater fits within that broader spectrum of something that people choose to do <laughs> in their leisure time. Um, that's entertainment. And so we're competing with radio, we're competing with television, we're competing with movies, we're competing with live music and concerts, um, and we're competing with the internet. So competition is incredibly fierce, and the options out there are incredibly varied. You know, but, so, but thank God there's nothing as powerful as the live stage. Well, you know, I, I, I agree that and, and feel passionately about the fact that live theater is a very unique experience. And as such, you know, we need to capitalize on that and make it even more exciting and vibrant and, 
you know, just a, a, a passionate experience for theater goers to make it worth their time and energy and money. So, right? so Bailiwick now is a Bailiwick Chicago is a. You keep using the term collective right. in a lot of your literature. So, uh, it you're the executive d- director, but it's like a corporate model where you have a whole staff of people. That, yeah, well, it's it's more like an ensemble okay. model. It's okay. a little bit closer to that. There are now 14 of us who are all members of what we're calling the collective. We're using that terminal that term. Uh, very specifically for a couple of different reasons. One is that um, in many theater companies, an ensemble is uh, limited to artists. So actors, directors, writers, maybe some designers. Our uh, ensemble includes production staff members, people like stage managers and production managers and producers and that, and that lot. So that's one of the reasons why we didn't want to use the term ensemble. And the second was uh, because we wanted to be very clear about how decisions are made. It's collective decision making, so you're not, not executive decision making. Okay. I'm not making all the artistic decisions about what shows we do or don't do. That is made by the collective as a group. Okay. So the the did the collective decide to do two shows within ten days of each other, <laughs> which I think is absolutely amazing. It was mind boggling. Right. And then, but you pulled it off. Yeah, well, thank you, thank you. I I, I hope audiences uh, agree with that. Um, the the reason that had that that was kind of by accident. It, we did not plan it. We had no intention when we when we first set off to try to do two shows at the same time. In fact, we had uh, made the commitment that we were going to do Aida first, um, and we began planning around that opportunity. Started holding auditions and that kind of thing, and then. Joe DiPietro's play came to our attention via one of our artistic advisors, Tom Mullen, who is a very close friend and colleague of mine. I've worked on him with him on a lot of different awesome projects. Awesome director. Yeah. yeah, he's fantastic. And so Tom gave me a call, and he basically you know, said, look, I've, I've got this incredible property. You know, it's, it's really smart, it's funny, um, and it's timely, and I think we ought to jump on it. And I said, well, I already got another show going. You know, I don't think the... I don't think our collective wants to take on two projects at the same time. We're just trying to get our theater company together and figure out who does what well and who, you know, what, what people are interested in and, you know, trying to teach each other how to be smarter and better about everything. Um, but then uh, we were in conversations with what was the theater building uh, management, which is now stage 773. But uh, back when we were talking about the idea of doing the Joe DiPietro play, um, you know, we wanted to, you know, we, we, we wanted to kind of put it off as long as we could, but some capacity within the theater building became available, and Joe and Tom got on the phone with me and were very, very passionate and articulate why they felt like we ought to try to plan it over the summer, uh, you know, we could launch it around Pride um, and, you know, really make a big splash on the Chicago theater scene, really show off to the to all of our colleagues as well as to patrons that this is uh, a, a brand new, completely different bailiwick uh, with high aspirations to make our mark on the Chicago theater scene. And so I took that back to the collective and uh, I said to them, you know, 
this is what it might look like. This is this is the size of the opportunity. You think we want to try to take it on? I promise we won't do this more than once. <laughs> doing two shows at the same time. That's amazing. Uh, and uh, they said yes. Thank goodness. And uh, and away we went. And we kind of divided and conquered. So well, we had we, about half of our collective was really actively engaged on one of the shows, and then the other half on the other, with me managing both um, as the senior producer. And uh, we've just been pushing through, you know, through through one show and then one, right, you know, one one right after the other, one tech well, week, know, one yeah. opening, another tech week, another <laughs> opening. I don't know if you realize it, but uh, the the Petro show plays to uh, a base audience, mm-hmm. and Aida plays to a larger audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in a, in a way, they both complement one another, and it kind of establishes you guys in in uh, in in two areas. We wanted to be very clear to the community about the breadth of our intent and the kinds of stories uh, that we wanted to tell. So certainly we knew that the GLBT perspective was going to be something that would be part of our mission, but we also wanted to be very, very clear that we think of the the kinds of stories that we want to tell as much broader. Um, We personally feel like that there are, are not enough uh, plays and musicals done in Chicago that focus in on the African American perspective, on the Latino perspective, on the Asian perspective. That's true. And those are the kinds of stories we want to make core to our mission, um, and to partner with other arts organizations or other non for profits on those projects, mm-hmm. which is actually another key difference between us and the previous company. Okay. Well, let's talk about the DiPietro show first. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a fun, well well produced show. Uh, the production values are as good as you'd see. It's a non equity show in a, as a full equity production. I, I just I don't see the difference. You know. Yeah. I, th- you know that's one of the advantages of the Chicago uh, acting pool. Um, you know, it it used to be twenty years ago that. Actors might come to Chicago on their way to New York. Now we have actors coming to Chicago from New York. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, true. Who who are, who see and read about these amazing opportunities that are occurring that you see across all kinds of theaters in Chicago. You know, the next theater. You've got the House Theater. You've got um, the folks out. Uh, in the suburbs, uh, the, the minister's wife, uh, the writer's theater. Writer's you know, theater. I mean, and, and, and I know some of these have both, you know, are either, they're not all non-equity houses. Some are doing a mixture, you know, with a couple of equity positions, but most of them still have non-equity actors in those roles. Yeah, we have a great pool of non-equity yeah, actors. Just, they're just amazing. Yeah, amazing it, some of them are young kids, you know, on their way, but others are, are people that have good day jobs, right. don't want it as a career, but still want to produce art. And that's really true of most, well, actually, right now, everybody within our collective. I mean, no one in our collective is being paid a dime to do anything. We are all volunteers this year uh, because there was no money to pay anybody. But that's amazing that they have this kind of commitment uh, and professionalism among, you know, volunteers. Well, these certainly are not young bucks. These are people just out of college. These are people who have cut their teeth on a lot of projects in a lot of different contexts. And so they have specific ideas about the kinds of theater experiences they want to create, how to create them, 
and that sense of collaboration that can occur that really makes it more than just a you know a revenue thing mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's about the artistry and it's about the personal fulfillment well i see uh, in the dupetro play he he came in town cuz i was at some mm-hmm. i was waiting for some other show and and i thought that was him and thank yeah. god john olson introduced me cuz i yeah. you know i kind of you know you, re- you remember the picture but i've never read him and it's amazing to see a, a guy with i mean he's got major credentials yeah doesn't he wow yeah. joe was amazing amazing to work with such a collaborative fun you know supportive artist to for us to get to partner with in our first season he actually you know he came to all of the auditions and was active in that process wow. he also as a result of the auditions rewrote some of the material in the play based upon the kinds of actors that we saw and it kind of challenged his ideas about who might be right for a particular kind of role and then he came back during tech week um, and again, did additional rewrites working with Tom and the cast uh, to try to really get the play to be what he had always envisioned. And so he it's wasn't very happy with. So it. it's different than the New York or LA production. Yeah, actually, New York has never had a production. Or not New yeah, London. Yeah, London. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, it is different than both of those productions in many different ways. But definitely in the writing, definitely in the style, um, definitely in the pacing. I mean, Joe was 100% committed to, this is a 90-minute experience. It cannot go a minute over 90 minutes, you know? Wow. It's that sense of that, that cinematic inevitability, it can't be stopped, and before you even know it, it's ended kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that's really what he was looking for, and I think previous productions had really stretched it out to... I think one of the productions was over two hours, you know, and and Joe was just like, no, the not piece... at all what he was looking to, and not not that there was a lot more material. They just found ways to, I guess, stretch it out. <laughs> yeah, and 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 right, the piece had a had a tightness and it had a, a complete arc to it, which I think made sense. You know, some plays five or ten minutes either way destroys it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. You know, we, we we it's interesting you mentioned that. I was just meeting with. Uh, some of my collective members last night as we're planning next season. And we were talking about that whole challenge of, you know, how long a show is or should be and what audiences are able to tolerate. And there's this sort of unspoken rule, you got to keep it under two hours, right, to keep people engaged. Well, television has gotten us impatient. Yeah. 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 Some of it is that. And yet, there are properties like Osage County, which is over three hours long, yep. and people are on the edge of their seats. Ar- Arthur Miller, I'm, I'm seeing uh, after the right. fall, I'm seeing tonight is uh, is a long play. Yeah, there so, are some that can tolerate it. Right, that's now. that's right. I mean, it's not a general rule that people want to go to three and a half hour movies uh, or three and a half hour plays, but uh, but certainly I think that like it 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 depends. It's dependent upon the material, but for the most part, I think pacing is so important. That's one of the things we worked really, really hard on on AIDA for the last uh, couple of weeks. Well, I don't want to let our time get by. we got a lot of talk about AIDA. Let's, let me start by saying uh, I've seen productions. I saw that you know Bob Falls came in and, and saved it for Stuart Oakham, yeah. and uh, they made it a big spectacle and so forth. And it was okay, except I, I never felt for the characters because really, literally, I couldn't understand the words because they, you know, the, how they over-amplify it, and it was just all screaming and hollering. And you guys got the sound so right, it, it just made all the difference in the world. Because now you could hear the story, you could hear the lyrics, you could feel the emotion of it, and, and you cared 
about it. This thing had heart. You cared about the characters. And and isn't that the reason to tell that story in the Absolutely. First place? I mean, that is the heart of the story. It is a love story. Mm-hmm. It is about the timelessness of love. Tragedy it's love about, story, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And if you anything that actually distracts from that, as far as we were concerned, needed to be cut or another solution found. You know, thank goodness for uh, Sarah Ramos was our sound designer on that project. Seems and, awesome. And Jimmy Moorhead and um, Robert Aulis, who did the music, you know, co-musical directors. And you know, the usually they, I, I saw a, a show that ATC did, uh, East Nation or whatever it was, not to knock it, but it was so loud and screaming it attacked you in the same exact space. Yeah. And yet you guys got the sound. I said in my review, you guys should be the model for how to do sound in a rock music. You could still hear the rock music. Right. But you can hear all the lyrics, and then the and then the actors knew they could actually hear one another. I'm sure there's shows where they can't hear one another. Yeah, that's right. You know, it was one of one of my biggest concerns when we were first having conversations with Sarah about how to do the sound amplification. Is I was, you know, we put all of the leads on those uh, those body mics. You know, their their own little personal. I don't body think mics. they needed them though. Well, you know, it, the wonderful thing was is they you they really didn't need them, but it gave it just a little bit of boost. Okay. I was concerned that it would sound unnatural, right? And that's that's the trick I think with a good sound designer is yeah. find that middle place. Well, right? that's the other extreme. Yeah, if the, if the actors think they have to scream and then you amplify them, it does sound like screaming, right. and then they overpower the music, and that doesn't work either. That's right, and then everyone's yeah. fighting to yeah. be heard, you yeah. know, uh, which is just. Not not worth it at all. And that, you know, Aida has such, there's so many delicious moments in the score where, you know, it, the intimacy, really bringing it in down, yeah. having just that little bit of a boost of the mic yeah, enables okay. the actor to do that and yet the, the audience still not to miss a moment. Well, but then get rid of it when they're belting, you know, the big final moments yeah, of oh. the gods love Nubia, you know. Well, that and casting almost a, a complete African-American cast, not, not 100%, but... Uh, because the Nubians were black, yeah. and the Egyptians, many of them are, and it just added uh, a truth, and, a, and a, it just made it more real. It was one of the very first conversations we had about the piece, is when Scott Ferguson uh, submitted the project, you know, Aida. The way we kind of work is a director has to actually submit the work. Okay. We don't pick the work and then pick a director you know it's so he has a champion a work you, has you a champ. have to have yeah. somebody who is passionate yeah. with a vision a specific idea and scott brought it to us and the very first thing pretty much all of us said was we are not going to cast white blonde people as radames and amneris that does not make sense no <laughs> it no does, it doesn't it's not the characters it, just, it does not make sense and in fact it's a little insulting so let's let's try to be a little bit more culturally accurate and a little bit more relevant and actually deepen the story, you know, which I which is what I hope we did. But right. where did you come up with these? Uh, I have never seen that uh, Brandon Chandler. Oh yeah, Brandon's quite wow. a find. We're excited about Brandon. I'm going to give him his his props right now because yeah. uh, Brandon actually submitted his headshot and resume to us, kind of on a on a whim. Uh, he's actually from Peoria. He's ne- this is his Chicago premiere, so he's never performed in, in any venue. I didn't think so because I would have remembered him. And I think Chris Jones mentioned that too that he had not seen him. Yeah, so we got he he submitted his headshot. We called him in, and he just blew us away. 
And so he came up and, and moved up here for the summer to do the show with us. And now we're just trying to keep him, trying to keep him here, we're trying to convince him to stay. Well, he's, <laughs> we he, think he might have a future. <laughs> I, just a little bit. But he's a good actor, too. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's not really just nice a singer. Yeah. And, I mean, all around, the all-around cast. You know, tell us about some of uh, Yeah, well, you know, you know I, I, Rashada, yeah. uh, who plays Aida, is just, to me, the epitome of the Queen of Nubia, you know, or the yeah. Princess of Nubia. I mean, she just, she from the moment she walked into the audition room through every moment we were with her, she just holds herself in such a confident, regal manner, yeah. it's, but is also incredibly humble, is incredibly grounded. Well, even and, in the show, when she walks on stage, you're not sure who she is because she's, you know, among the the, right. the other slaves. slaves. You know which one. You know yeah. who that's. I mean. <laughs> you know exactly who you don't, she is. <laughs> you just know. Just the way she carries herself and that voice oh. that she has, there's like a rawness to it. It's not your typically like overtrained, you know, perfect sounding voice. But boy, do you hear the passion yes. and energy in every single syllable and note? Yeah, and the key in the key scenes, uh, uh, the, the key tragic love scenes, she's just yeah. amazing. Just, yeah, she's yeah. just so strong, and you believe that she could lead her people. Oh yeah, you know, out of Egypt back home to Nubia, you believe it for a second. Well, the other element I thought was amazing was tell us about the choreography yeah, and the, the, the this, dance. You gave it such an African influence in yeah. the dance, it, so it isn't just that. You know, the original Aida, uh, they were kind of jumping around, kind of like they had to do, like, hair-type rock mm-hmm. dancing, and it yeah. just didn't fit the story. Yeah, that's right. Well, this this is where the kudos to the guys over at Deeply Rooted, um, you know, I want to make sure that we give them a lot of credit for all of this. W- you know, when we talked about doing Aida, I knew that the choreography would be a really unique opportunity for us to put a mark on the piece and to make it more of a serious dance show with real trained dancers. And I've been a big fan of Deeply Rooted Dance Company for a number of years. Um, I had casually met Ayega Jeff and Gary Abbott. You know, uh, Ayega is the artistic director there, and Gary is the associate artistic director. And so I approached them about the possibility of doing this artistic collaboration. I made mention to the fact that we're... Uh, core to our mission is partnering with other arts organizations mm-hmm. and groups on our shows. And so this was the first real big test for us of doing that kind oh, it of worked, partnership. It worked beautifully. And they were good ensemble players, and, and even when they weren't dancing. Yeah, they were just yeah. fantastic. I mean, we, we so there, I think there are, are four or possibly five um, ensemble members who have danced with Deeply Rooted in, in different contexts. But, you know, they just bring an authenticity to their work because it's core to their identity and it's core to their own personal artistic missions. But they're also very, very comfortable, you know, within the theatrical medium. There is, they are as interested in telling stories as they are in, you know, developing and creating beautiful, you know, visual pictures in dance. And so it was a, a, a fantastic partnership with us to have, like, you know, the, the, these two musical directors and then Scott and then myself and then Gary and I, Aga, really rethinking conceptually how the show could be done and, ha- and how dance could be utilized. Well, I think it's the best production of Aida I've seen. And, oh, well, and I saw the original. I've seen the tour. And they were okay. But this this one really got to me because you cared. That's right. That, I mean, there and, were pe- I saw people yeah, that were crying at the end. That's right. That's right. Well, I still... 
I still cannot make it through the gods of Nubia at the end of Act One without that is getting a, pretty choked up. That is a great amazing. anthem, isn't it? And, oh. Yeah, it's just so. And they sing it with all of their heart yeah. every single night. It's well, like, Chris Jones paid you guys a heck of a compliment. Uh, I think it was Chris that said this should be the model for a Broadway revival. Yeah. Well, that, that I you know I I appreciated Chris recognizing that how key to the concept you know the, uh, that really was you know to really take the Afrocentric approach and to be very very true to it. Um, and I do believe that if the show were to have any kind of commercial life in the future, it ought to attempt that. So. Do you, have you contacted Bob Falls to have him come out and see? I him? haven't. I need. I, I should definitely try to do yeah. that. I wonder. Uh, you yeah, know, Bob's maybe. a good guy. He can get a hold of him. I, yeah. You know, he uh, as I said, he came in and and saved. I guess the show was in really bad shape, you know. And he went to college with Stuart Oakham, from who was, who was running Disney theatrics at the time. Right. And that was, you know, he he saved the show. But I'd be interested in what he would have to say about. But I think he'd like it. Yeah, I hope yeah. he would. Yeah, I hope he would. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've had we've had such a blast putting it together. Yeah. Well, putting it together. This is. I mean, it's so incredible. I, it, the shame of it is that it's not Jeff eligible because you guys are a new theater company yeah, and well, you have to follow all. Because right. this show, Aida, I think would would win a bunch of jobs. I really yeah. do. Well, I'm I I appreciate that so much. You know, I mean it's. It's nice to get recognized in awards, but, you know, the most important thing to us is as many people as possible come and see it. You know, we just want, we feel so passionate about this story and the work that we've done on it. You know, I just want as many bodies in that room it's, to have an opportunity. To it's the surprise it. hit of the summer. Oh, well, thank you. It really is. Because, again, like I said, most of us that have seen the show, well, I eat it, well, I wonder what yeah. they'll do with it. Yeah. yeah, let's, we'll give it a try. Yeah. And, and a lot of us were betting on the names, you know, that we know the people involved, like you and, and Scott and so right. forth. Right. So, People, you know, they sort of say, well, you know, they know what they're doing. Let's go see it. Wow. Because a lot of us were talking at a couple other shows, you know, the yeah. reviewers and how, how sure. good it was. Sure. What kind of houses are you getting? We're, we're about, uh, we're averaging about 75% capacity right now. I mean, we sold out most of the shows last weekend, but uh, this weekend we're about at 75%. I'm trying to pump it up. You know, it's always hard in the summer. Yeah, because you know there's so many on top of all the other entertainment options. There's just the inertia of the heat and street festivals and all that kind of stuff. But we do think it's a it's a great night out. Well, so, let's give a commercial for it. Uh, you're it's at ATC, right? American that's right. Theater yeah, Company. So we're performing at the American Theater Company, which is 1909 West Byron. Byron and Lincoln is the actual corner. Yeah, right off a of link, a Lincoln and Damon uh, uh, Irving. Yeah, that that, that little uh, try a uh, little corner there. Yeah, yeah, it's just a couple of blocks south of that. There, there is no uh, uh, um, parking lot associated with the theater, so folks do need to set aside time for uh, finding parking, you know, in the neighborhood. But yeah, but you're close to the to the Brown Line stop, Irving stop. That's right. Ir- the yeah. Irving bus, the Lincoln bus. It's just not. Right. It's easy to get that's to. Right. And so, and our tickets are available um, right off of our website, which is www.baileywickchicago.com. Um, that's the easiest way to get tickets. Um, but what, the box office also opens two hours before the show every night. How much are the tickets? Um, the, they vary upon the night, um, okay. but most of the tickets are right around the $30 range. I think the wow. final weekend we've got $35 tickets. That's one-third of the downtown big spectacle. That's right. That's right. Yeah. With twice the heart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, two, you could you could bring your boyfriend or your girlfriend, 
and right. still have money to have dinner, and there's a lot of nice restaurants in that. There sure in that are. Area. Yeah, so boy, really I'll, I'll give a plug to uh, Murphy's Irish Bistro right around the corner. They got some amazing ribs and just. I, 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 I eat there again last night. Yeah, and, and pizza. For an Irish pub, they have a heck of a pizza. Yeah, there you go. I but this is this is a major triumph. Uh, what a splash for you guys. To, you. to just be crazy enough to do two shows <laughs> at the same time yeah. and then and not shrink from the quality. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you had top people in both from production, you know, from the actors on, on up. Well, I can promise you that in the future, we have no intention of doing anything less than that level of quality. doesn't matter what show it is. We're going to get the very, very best that we can possibly bring on board, whether that means they're volunteers or we can pay them a little bit, but we're going to try to give them really fantastic artistic experiences uh, where they really get to collaborate with a team of people who are passionate about the work you know, in this business, there isn't a lot of money to get pay out to people. No, you, you got to go create, for the passion. Yes, you got. It's got to be based upon deep, deep commitment and passion for the work, and that's what we have. And we take care. We take care of all the people who work with us. Good. Now, now, what are you going to do? What are your plans for the next year or two? Yeah, so, Is there anything well, you can announce or give yeah, us an idea what you're going to do? Yeah, I can't announce any of the specific titles yet, but I will tell you that as part of our next season, we're looking to do at least two plays and two musicals, possibly one or two more. We're also going to continue uh, something that we started this year, which is uh, to be workshopping and developing new work. Uh, so we, we need that. A, we did a workshop of, a, of an original musical called Bloom back in April. We're going to continue to do that because we are really going to be looking for the kinds of projects that we can develop into something that is uniquely ours and that may have actual commercial potential at some point in the future. Sure, and nothing nothing wrong with a you're owning in a, a show that becomes a cash cow, right? Yeah, or or <laughs> you know, or at least a show that could have maybe some commercial su- success outside of Chicago. So sure, that model has certainly been. Proven. Well, I'm uh, glad already, to hear so. that you're you're going to be doing musicals because we've we have a scarcity of quality non-ec musicals yeah. in Chicago. Yeah, I think that is, and they're case. tough to do, and they're expensive. Yeah. We, you know, so that we need groups. And boy, you set the bar pretty high with Aida. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, let me, you know, uh, let me ask you, Tom. Uh, you know, if is there is there a show you think we ought to do? If you had a show that you yes. would love to see a non-equity yes. theater in town do, what yes, would, what would that uh, be? it would be Tree Grows in Brooklyn. I've been trying to sell Terry James on it uh, uh, at um, at Marriott. And Tree Grows in Brooklyn is a Dorothy Fields, uh, Arthur Schwartz score. It's fabulous. Excellent. It, right. it, it was one of those that opened on Broadway in the 50s against, I don't know, West Side Story or, you know, one of those years where where the other shows that competed with her all became classics. It was like one show to me. But, yet I think it did win a couple of Tonys. Oh. But listen to the score. If you hear the score, you'll be interested in the Fantastic. show. Fantastic. Well, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's the one. I've met, this is not the first time I've said that. And I have no interest in other than it's one of those shows that I haven't. I, I saw uh, a version of it out south at the Illinois Theater Center, way out south, about four years ago they did it, uh, a version of it. But no one's done it in Chicago. <laughs> so that's one to consider. Well, that's 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 the kind of show that would be of great interest to us, you know. Well, it's a dance show. It. It's got a nice score. Yeah. If you've seen the movie, or you know, there, there was a, a dramatic movie of it that was a classic. It's a classic story. Great. Yeah, it, it's the kind out. of stuff. Yeah, that we were doing. Wow. Welcome, and I'm glad you guys have put put this together. And I did, by the way, I did see David Zach. 
the other day at his show, and I, I know he was there on opening night of uh, Baida, and yeah. he just absolutely loved your show. Yeah, he was. He's been so you know supportive of us all as we've kind of tried to get all this going. He's just sending sending us lots of love and good wishes. We yeah. adore him. And well, we he's going to London and then Korea to direct. So he's no, he's a busy not, man. Yeah. He's a busy man. He'll be back though. Yeah, and I, right. I venture to say he'll he'll direct a show for you guys. I bet he will at yeah. some point in the future. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Kevin. This has been terrific. Yeah, and and folks, good. we've got two good shows to see, and uh, the promise of this theater group is is really going to be great. So, folks, thanks for listening, and go see a play this week. Mm-hmm.